Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Let me tell you about a company that I have been using for eight years. It's Podbean, an all-in-one podcast publishing and hosting platform. Not only does Podbean take care of the Newsworthy with Norisworthy podcast, when I was a church planner and I needed to figure out on my own how to post a sermon podcast, I found Podbean and I have been a dedicated, loyal customer ever since then. Now, not only if your sermons need to be posted or your podcast needs to be posted, of course you go to Podbean, but now, say you're a Sunday school teacher and you don't have the fancy recording equipment, but because of our friends at Podbean and the new mobile app, podcasters can record and publish podcasts directly from their phone. So if you're interested in any hosting or publishing needs for a sermon podcast, an interview podcast, whatever kind of content you would have put online, our friends at Podbean will take care of you. And if you go right now and you click the link in our show notes, there's even a discount for Newsworthy with Norsworthy listeners. Check it out. All right, friends, welcome back to the show today. I have with me in Austin, Texas, Jason Jones. How are you, man? Good, good. Good. Thanks for having me. A fellow Texan. Yes. You made the drive up. You live south of San Antonio. Yes. And you made your way over to Austin. Mm-hmm. Now, does everyone who lives in San Antonio think, man, we're so close to living in Austin, but we're not fully there? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm an Aggie, so uh, oh, there's no way I would have lived in the city limits anyway. <laughs> now, for those who don't understand the uh, universities in Texas, A&M and UT, A&M thinks UT is its rival, like their whole fight song's based on the University of Texas, but... You yeah. Know. This this probably wouldn't be a good way to go. <laughs> uh, I'm an Aggie, but I don't know enough to argue about it. Well, my uh, my uncle is an, an Aggie. My cousin is uh, is an Aggie who was there the same time you were there. And so I've got nothing but love for Aggies. Yeah. But anyway, I appreciate coming over here. Um, okay, let's talk. You've got a new book out that's just about to come out. The title is Limping But Blessed. And so we've emailed over the last couple months or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, you said, hey, I want you to read the book and let me know what you think um, a couple months ago. And so I put on my calendar, okay, you need, you need me to read it and give you a, uh, a blurb on this date. So I put on my calendar and with my personality, it's like, okay, I will do it the very last minute of that's just how I function. I don't know if that's a good characteristic trait, but it's mine. And so wh- I have it on like Tuesday or Thursday or whatever day or Wednesday that I have to do this by. And that morning I'm working on this sermon that I'm doing about grief for uh, for my church, and what I did was I interviewed five or six different families that had gone through different grief, people who lost a son, uh, someone who lost a brother, and different types of grief that people went through. And so I'm watching the interviews all day, and I'm cutting them up, getting them ready to, to be shown in service. And so it's five or six hours mm. of grief, and then yeah. I'm like, oh, let me read this book, and I pick it up, and it's your book, which mm. talks about the story of you losing Jacob, your, your three-year-old boy Mm -hmm. and i was absolutely exhausted i I didn't even think oh you're gonna stay in this grief all day and i i call her i text my wife when i'm done and i say Lindsay, i have no emotions left i can't talk i just want ice cream and tv when i get home (laughs) that's that's all that's all i can do yeah because i my plan was if i'm gonna do a blurb i want to read something about the book and so Mm -hmm. i'll read uh you know 100 pages or so, and then mm-hmm. I'll be able to... But I started reading, and I kept on going, because it was, it was actually really, really 
well done the way you you wrote this book. So I just want to start by saying well done on the book. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, I, I, let's start, I guess, the, the story is your, your three-year-old son passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what year was that? Uh, that was 2011. 2011. Uh, you could probably tell me the date, time, exactly when it happened. Yeah, um, it was June 12, 2011, um, a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I, our whole family, have uh, two other beautiful daughters, and we had gone to church that day. And Jacob and I came home early. After, well, came home after the service, and my wife and daughters um, stayed behind to help with vacation Bible school. Mm-hmm. And so I laid Jacob down for a nap. And then I went and laid down, and, you know, I ended up falling asleep, woke up. Uh, His room is on the other side of uh, the house. I didn't really, there was really no reason to check. I just figured he was still in his room. Of course. Eventually, my wife and daughters came home and said, you know, after even more time passed, my wife went back and checked on him, and he wasn't there, and all I could hear was her kind of yelling his name. And so, uh, obviously, we started freaking out a little bit, ran outside and looked around just to see if we could see him, um, and, you know, something just clicked into my head to look in the, in the car, in the, our SUV at the time, and I saw him laying on the back. Um, so at that time, we didn't know how long he'd been in there or not, but, uh, you know, we went through uh, all of the things together, uh, uh, doing CPR together, and it, it just was way too late. He had been in there for probably a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so you guys call first responders. Mm-hmm. They get there, and... Um, then they start kind of interrogating you mm-hmm. um, because it, um, not only did you have to go through the tragedy and the grief, but then there was uh, the follow-up police investigation. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I would have lashed out and acted um, extremely inappropriately if I was in your situation. Um, it sounds like you didn't do that, um, how in the world did you not? Well, at the time, I did get really frustrated that day because I, I didn't I didn't really understand it. I didn't. I, I it was almost like, are are you really questioning me this way? Uh, because all of the, if you, it, it was obvious that. Their, their whole path was that I had left Jacob in his car seat. Unfortunately, that happens yep. with some parents. Um, and from the get-go, when a sheriff's investigator showed up, that is what they thought happened, and they thought I was lying for months. And it was incredibly frustrating 
I mean, I, I can't tell you how much more added stress and pain that added on top. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I wanted to lash out. Um, there were times when there were plenty of words said to them um, and a lot of crying and not understanding with me and my wife and our entire family. And it took months for the silly thing to finally get some closure. It went all the way to a grand jury thing, which was just unbelievable to us. Yeah. I mean, it it is so frustrating I understand, and I have friends who are in law enforcement. I understand what they have to do. But there's sometimes uh, there are people who I think are, you know, they're just not good at what they do, and they have a lot of power. And it it put us through a whole nother living hell at the, at the same time of trying to grieve Jacob. Yeah. It was really awful, that Peace. When I came home uh, after reading the book, and Lindsay, I did say a few words to my wife, and uh, I told her, this, this is the book that I read, and uh, she said, oh, I, I remember that uh, that story, because it was in the news, yeah. right? And but my wife's a NICU nurse, and so obviously there are uh, times that she's been called into situations where they needed someone who could do CPR on a little baby or mm. something like that. Um, and so I think she's more acutely aware of some of those stories um, mm-hmm. because of her professional experience. But yeah, so that you have this frustration that goes on for months. There's, um, wasn't there like some scene where like there, I forget who it was, one of the law enforcement officers who was at your house mm-hmm. and they've, they, they had this like final interrogation yeah. kind of at your house mm-hmm. and, um, I don't know how you don't just want to kick him in the chest. I mean, no, I did. I okay. said, I, I wanted to. I said <laughs> that in the book to a certain degree. Uh, I mean, I had this, I had this fantasy of getting in a fight with him. I mean, it was that I was so furious. Yeah. Um, because I, it, it was like you. It was like torturing us in the middle of us trying to grieve, and I just wanted it to be over with. Yeah. And come to find out, they their their whole tactic was to try to push me as far as I could, and sort of until I snapped that day and just started yelling. And they're like, "Okay, that's that. I believe you now. That's good enough." It was kind of like a tactic to push me to see if I was really lying or not. It it, it was nuts. Yeah. I'm, I get their job is very important. Yes, and that taking care of kids is of the utmost importance. Yeah. And so they have a very difficult job. And you can't let this kind of stuff slip under the rug. But so I don't know what it's like to do their job. I, right. I, and so I'm not humanizing him. I'm only thinking about you in yeah. this situation. Um, so y- your book is you processing your faith after that. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm reading this book, and I don't know much about you at the time. Uh, you sent it over to me. And so I, we have a mutual friend, Tony Jones, who, uh, the editor for the book. Yes. Right? Um, mm-hmm. And, so I'm reading this book. I'm trying to figure. Okay, who who are you? Because I don't I don't know your background. I don't know where you're coming from. And I'm I'm reading this and I'm going. It, okay, it sounds like you grew up a conservative, Baptisty kind of church, mm-hmm. and those answers weren't working for you. And you're having to figure out on the fly how to have faith after this tragedy took place. Right? Is that 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I grew up in a traditional Baptist church. Went to church. I mean, I've been going to church my whole life, and had, uh, I guess, a way my theology, the way that I thought about God, um, it, it just did. When this happened to Jacob, the way that it happened. Um, it, it didn't make any sense to me. And a lot of that has to do, you know, with God's power, goodness, yeah. providence, all of that. It, it, with, with a three-and-a-half-year-old in a senseless accident, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, where, where, is, any, where is there any of God's purpose in that? Yeah. And that's the stuff that you were getting that, you know, God has a plan for this. There's a purpose for what, what God did here. You just have to have faith and trust that you can see God's... That, right. That's what you're hearing. Yeah. And so there was some line in the book that you wanted um, a pastor to be able to have some solidarity with you in this. And the silence of God, like, was building mm-hmm. this brick wall. Yeah. And uh, somehow you stumbled into Jurgen Moltmann. Mm-hmm. Which that's not really the uh, the name that most people are jumping to. So, talk, how did how did that happen? Yeah, so that happened through Tony. Um, I had been I, I'm I enjoy learning. Um, I, you know, I'm a finance guy by trade, but I enjoy learning about other. Uh, reading from other theologians and stuff like that and just doing my own education. So I had read... Wait, how'd you get to know Tony, though? Well, I had found him online, just his blog. Mm -hmm. And so I had kept up with just reading um, Tony's blog whenever he used to post like 10 times a day. (laughs) Yeah, that was (laughs) many years ago. He'll love that. Yeah. Uh, And I really enjoyed reading his stuff. And after this had happened, I, uh, again, somehow I stumbled upon his, their conversation with Jurgen Moltmann at the, uh, so what do you, the Emergent Village yeah. podcast, uh, some conference, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a conference that somehow it was recorded and Tony's name was on it. So I started listening to it and they're interviewing this guy that I could hardly understand. In a, and then, so Mike Stavland, who wrote a, a book, who also had a child pass away, um, <clears throat> asked him a question about, you know, his son had passed away. So where, you know, where is God in all of this pain? I think Danielle Schroyer was also at okay, that yeah. same yeah same conference and they were all talking to him and that's how I got introduced to Jurgen Moltmann uh by with that interview and the, sort of that question and man it, it really piqued my interest this guy talking about a god who's not distant but who's right here suffering with us and mm-hmm. that was something I really didn't know before and so you continued to follow up on his work, and you eventually sent him a letter. Yeah. 
And he responds back to you. Yeah, which was really weird. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't... I, I, at the, so what I did was after I had really been struggling looking for answers to why. Mm-hmm. And everywhere I looked, at least around me, didn't didn't make me feel any better. I didn't find anything that was filling sort of that void. So I thought, you know, I'm going to find theologians that I can just get a hold of somehow and email them or write them letters and see what they send me send back. Maybe they have some secret answer that nobody mm-hmm. knows about. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so he was one of them, and he wrote me a letter a couple of weeks back. And, man, it really floored me. And it is a beautiful letter, and it's in the book. Mm-hmm. Okay, truth be told, I quoted that letter in a sermon a couple months ago. Really? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the thing about um, Jesus, too, died with an open why question. Yeah. And there's, like, you wanted the why. Like, why did this happen? Yeah. And, okay, as I remember, I, I, and I read this a few months ago, but you had a list of questions like, why did yeah. this happen? Why did yeah. this? And he says, yeah. yeah, I can't answer those questions. Yeah. Because they don't, okay, how, how did you understand his response to those questions? Uh, that there really is no answer to the why. And... I don't, I can't remember whether he I don't think it was in this letter but you know there's really not going to be an answer to the why that makes you feel any better anyway. Um that didn't mean that I didn't want to keep looking because mm-hmm. it was just kind of looking back now I think a lot of my searching and questioning is just a way that I grieved. It really? kept me busy. Huh. Yeah. So in some ways, it distracted you from having to think about it by asking the questions? Yeah. Huh. I mean, I think everybody grieves differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of my grief was this, and it still is, this sort of theological seeking um, and asking questions. And yeah, I mean, distractions are good in the middle of all of it. Yeah. I love the advice that uh, your grief counselor gave you. Um, so you, someone gave her your information. She was it a she? Paul it was Paula. Lorraine, Paula. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, like I, I, I read this book months ago, so I'm kind of riffing on this stuff. I'm hoping yeah. it's somewhat right. No, you're doing but, great. Um, <laughs> but okay, so she said <clears throat> she calls you up, leaves you a voicemail, mm-hmm. and says. Uh, you might not be ready or whatever mm-hmm. to talk, but uh, her advice was make sure you drink a lot of water. Yeah, which is like that's kind of a random thing to say. It is, but there's some. But I think that the wisdom behind that, as someone who's never grieved nor not a professional counselor, is like there's normal, natural, biological, physiological responses to grief, and y- you can't control it. Right. Like be be submissive to the fact that there are things that's going to happen to you, and then the advice she gave you was. People grieve differently. And yeah. for some, if you're going to yell, you got to do that. If you want to yeah. break something, just don't hurt yourself or other yeah. people. Right. Was that advice um, new to you? Did you go into grief? Did you think there was one certain way that grief was supposed to look? Um, I had no idea because I have never really grieved. Um, I've had, had a grandfather pass away, and 
I, I mean, those things are expected, and your grief lasts for a time, but it's not anything to this degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had no idea. And so anything anybody said was <laughs> certainly helpful and stuff that we still tell yeah. other grieving parents today. And So in the, that sermon that um, I, I was doing while I read your book, um, I sat in this office and interviewed friends of mine from my church that have all gone through different types of grief. And multiple ones said they felt shame because they weren't grieving appropriately. Hmm. Like they had an expectation for what grief was supposed to be. And, well, I don't, I don't feel as bad as I should, or I feel like, uh, you know, what I'm doing isn't, isn't really honoring the person who passed away in the way that I grieve. I'm assuming that you felt that at some point. Did you ever? Um, you know, I, I didn't. I had a lot of guilt. Huh. My, uh, that's where yeah. I got stuck. And so did I have shame? Yes. But my shame was in feeling like I let Jacob down yeah. and my family down. What, isn't there a line in the book about thinking about all the times that he called out for your name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I get that. Um, hmm. When uh, when Moltman says you're never going to get the answer to the why questions, um, I would want answers. Mm-hmm. Um, when he said you're not going to get those answers that you wanted, how did how did that make you feel? Uh, he said it so beautifully <laughs> <laughs> that I don't think I I think I was um, maybe. Not upset with, certainly with him, or I, I think it was just like, man, this, how how can this be? Uh, because I didn't stop searching after I got his letter. I kept going. Mm-hmm. Although, um, I've certainly clung on to his teaching and, you know, Thinking about God who is bearing and carrying us and is in solidarity with us and suffering all of this with us. I mean, that for me, that's a God that I can get down with. Mm -hmm. Um, A God that is kind of breaking in when he needs to, you know, kind of move the chess pieces around. And this accident was part of that. That is... I, I I can't. What's the worst part about that to you? Um, to me that seems like a like monstrous. Yeah. That's not. And, and so let me put a little disclaimer out there. I can totally be wrong about all of this, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> I need to say that to like the beginning of my sermon every time. I could be one hundred percent wrong about all of this. Yeah, yeah. I I have no idea. All I can do is is sort of try to put the pieces together and kind of hold on to a faith um, that can sustain me through yeah. the rest of my life mm-hmm. with the experiences that I have and have had. Yeah. 
And so when I think about if that's the way that God does work and there and God is literally kind of making he's okay and I don't want to say okay but allowing even allowing I mean people use the word that God is allowing children to suffer whatever that still means God has some control over that cuz mm-hmm. he's still allowing it to happen and I'm not okay. That doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that is a God that I'm still really struggling with. If if that's the case, so it's just fright. It's frightening to me. To to. And what's crazy is that um, a lot of people find comfort in that sovereignty. Yeah, they do. And that's cool. That's okay. Uh, I'm just now getting to the point where I can say that. Like where, you know, if, if you're okay, if you're, that's good for you. But let me be okay with it. Let me live with my theology. You are good with your theology. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to really infuriate me that. And I think that it, it's more of the, the protection of Jacob that I don't, I don't want people to think that he's expendable. So that's why it would make, that's why it makes me angry (laughs) to think that, well, you're okay with a theology that that God either predestined, ordained, allowed Jacob to pass away, suffering in a hot car. Uh, that that bothers me as his dad. Yeah. When when you're going through your um, your questioning, your kind of like your grief through uh, through all this inquiry was your wife on the same sort of theological journey with you you know at first we were and she'll remind me uh (laughs) for for the first you know few months i was i was praying just like i always had prayed i was reading the bible every day looking for verses and and still feeling and trying to find comfort and peace in and doing things the way that I had always done and sort of feeling the same way that I always had about God. And she found comfort in the further she kind of delved deeper into God over those months, she found comfort and peace in that. Hmm. And I started going a totally different direction where I felt like <clears throat> what, I, my, what I would call my, the silence of God, I started getting angry 
and that anger kept building and then started turning into bitterness and you know cynicism and it it really started getting ugly so the answer to that is no we didn't have the same experience mm-hmm. which was really difficult <laughs> at the same time um uh, when you're again when you're dealing with all this other grief stuff mm-hmm. And you have two people who kind of grew up in church together uh, who have also you have these conservative beliefs about what a marriage, what, what a good Christian marriage is supposed to look like together. Mm-hmm. And then you start kind of going in different directions. Man, that was really unexpected, too. In what way? Well, we had never experienced it. We, we had... We are best friends, and we've um, studied the Bible together for so long and been, went to church together and sort of just always had the same beliefs. Mm-hmm. And then when you, when me, I start questioning all of this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it freaked her out. And when I would bring up my questions to her, it would upset her and then it would make me mad. So there's all kinds of fun little marriage yeah. issues that come up yeah. <laughs> and you, you find yourself in a therapist's office together talking about it. And you know, that was something we never thought we'd have to deal with, mm-hmm. but the, the grief brought us there. And what, what was really wonderful, um, I cannot begin to tell you how much our therapist helped us. What was it about the therapy that helped? Um, I think that in this situation, especially with grief, that you have to be able to talk about it without any judgment. And it's difficult to find anybody who can do that that's not a professional. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's because most of us, and I was the same, I want to make you feel better really quick. You want to fix it? Yeah, I want to fix your pain. And, our, and Paula, my, our therapist, and I, I would assume most therapists are this way, it, it, you're allowed a safe space to just say how awful it is. Mm-hmm. And you can do that <laughs> and not feel any judgment from it. And for me, it, it took literally almost three years of going to see her. Bria, my wife, we would go separately and then together as a couple. <clears throat> I needed a lot. It was more not needed it. It was more helpful for me, again, grieving differently. Yeah. So. Obviously, the statistics show that the times that marriages don't make it are through times like this. I mean, many marriages don't make it through a grief like this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, counseling, obviously, is one of the things that any and everyone should do, um, especially during grief. 
what were other things that helped keep your marriage afloat? Mm. Well, I think it it would go back to advice that we got from a therapist that was allowing us to, you know, your tendency is to want to judge each other's grief. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we, when you start seeing that happening, you, I mean, not, tension builds. And Paulo said, you know, you got to let each other grieve however they're going to do it yeah. and let, leave it alone. When you're judging someone else's grief, let me guess, is it like, you know, you, for your grief, it was, I've got to question all these things and go down and keep <clears throat> myself busy with this thought. And she's not asking those questions. Right. How, what other ways did your grief present differently? Yeah, I, I would say uh, crying at different times. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you think about it, in your marriage, you're, when, when one of you gets upset, the other one is there to hopefully comfort and in this situation, you're both devastated for a very long time. And so you can't be there for each other to some degree. <clears throat> and then you're, uh, you're feeling down at different times. And so then uh, I'm not saying I'm, I'm sure that there are times that I would look at Bria and I'm really down and I'm wanting her to sort of enter in grief with me and she's not ready to do it. She is, she for the moment is doing fine and she's not, she doesn't want to kind of come down into the grief with me. And that's, Mm. you got to be able to let each other do that. And it's really hard. Yeah. I've got a friend whose daughter uh, passed away at the age of uh, 12, I think. And uh, he said that uh, <clears throat> there was a time that he didn't want uh, to look at his wife's face because it reminded her, mm. it, it reminded him too much of his daughter. Yeah. And um, I, I can't imagine because I, I would assume for me, I, there are times I just, I, I don't want to deal with that. I would want to run from it. Mm-hmm. And if, if my wife wanted to sit in it, there'd be like, I just wouldn't be available right. for it. And I, it's been six years now. Mm-hmm. And not only are you trying to maintain and keep your marriage afloat, mm-hmm. but you've also have two daughters yeah. who are, they were nine and seven at the time. Yeah. So they were mm-hmm. well old enough to understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. And you're having to parent them through your own yeah. crisis. Mm-hmm. How, how in the world are you doing that? How, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one day at a time for sure. Thankfully, uh, in San Antonio, there's a children ber- children's bereavement center, and they went there for a year. And children grieve differently, and they're not at least for our daughters. They weren't vocal about it, but they definitely had their grief, and it was usually expressed through whether it's art or, I mean, this place is really phenomenal. And it was a place for them to go kind of uh, 
work through their grief, but it's sort of, it wasn't, I would say it's more of like an indirect way of doing it mm-hmm. versus, you know, sitting across from a therapist talking yeah. about how you feel today. Um, so I think that that was really beneficial for them. And again, I think just trying to do the best that we could with being available and being intentional about working on ourselves first. I know that sounds a little odd, but making sure that we're, we're healthy as individuals so that we can be healthy parents. Of course. And yeah. obviously I know we screwed up plenty of times throughout. Well, and, and can, and will continue to do so, <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully I, I think that they have come through this as well as they could have, and they're doing really well. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it's the basic airline instructions, like put the mask on yourself first before you put on someone else. And like, you have to do that as a parent, but it seems like grief is this thing that it's, uh, it's like, it's this brick you carry with you all the time. And, um, yeah, you know, um, and, and we are, and have been really, um, I don't, I don't conscious about that problem because, uh, grieving parents kind of tend to prop up the child who's passed away. I mean, I wrote a book about Jacob. I didn't write a book about yeah, my yeah, daughters. Yeah. Um, and so you have that. You, I, I know I'm thinking about my grief a lot. We're, we are, we are hoping that we're not, I, I certainly don't think we're neglecting them in any way, or but we we've asked them straight up, hey, you know, how does it make you feel about us talking about Jacob this way, mm-hmm. or do you feel like we're doing this too much? So again, being intentional, not hiding it. I we we had very blunt conversations about the book, about whether that was something that our family wanted to deal with or do or is it something that bothered them so and and thankfully it's it's been a something that they have been okay with and positive otherwise we we wouldn't be sitting here yeah of course course not yeah the uh the experience of a family in which you have a child that has like an addiction substance abuse issue where the family is always trying to rally around this person's sobriety yeah. mm-hmm. it makes the other children um like resentful yeah yeah because yeah. they're not getting the attention that every child needs and yeah i it, it's weird to think that a child could posthumously get all the attention yes but uh, obviously that that could take place I, I never thought about that and it's actually pretty normal is we, it really yeah um and when you're in the middle of it, you, you're, because you can't stop, you can't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, it's still something that we think about all the time. For the first couple of years, I, I, we're consumed with it. Mm-hmm. So, you just do the best that you can and hope that there's as little collateral damage left behind. Yeah, I, I was having lunch uh, not too long ago with a, a friend whose son passed away when uh, early twenties, and he was talking about how much he loved hearing stories uh, about his 
his son who who's passed it keeps the memory of of him alive and so yeah. you want to tell those stories to keep to keep jacob alive yeah uh, in the family and uh are, are you okay if i say the, the title that tony wanted for the book that you didn't like at all yeah sure like you, you maybe he won't like it but yeah. that's okay well tony <laughs> tony this is a better title than your tony's or title that you recommended tony so take that but th- th- his title was losing jacob and you didn't like that because you don't want to feel like he's he's gone like right. that he's still he's still with you and his memory's there, which like I I get like you want to to keep him around. Um, yeah. The okay. The title is limping but blessed. Uh, okay. How are you blessed? Um, how, how could you have that word in there? Yeah. I, well, the phrase comes from the letter that Jurgen Moltmann wrote me back, and um, to me. I'm not blessed by the experience, but I still have a blessed life. Mm-hmm. Um, we we feel like we have a very good life, even though this has happened. There, are, uh, my wife is a blessing to me. My daughters, my entire family, friends, support group. Uh, the life that I'm living is still um, can still be a blessed life. Mm-hmm. Sure, there's pain and suffering, uh, but that's sort of the dichotomy of the yeah. life that we're living. You just, I, I, I think the the one of the biggest things that I've learned as a person through this, or one one of about a million, but I I was always sort of a it was a a black and white world to me. Mm-hmm. There's good or bad. And I had no idea that you're able to hold sort of this craziness of life all at the same time and still be okay. Like it, this, if something like this happens to you, then it's just going to crush you for the rest of your life. I mean, that's the way I would have thought beforehand. Um, but I, I think that something that I've learned is that, you know, there, you, you, we all have the ability and we are all going to have some sort of pain and suffering to some degree that you can hold all of that, the goodness and the badness at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You can hold it all together. Well, man, I appreciate you being willing to, uh, share the story. Um, it, it, I think I wrote on the back something. Um, yeah, the story filled my eyes with tear, my heart with hope. Yeah, I think that's um, that's how I felt after I read it. Mm-hmm. Like it, I mean, it's it's a heartbreaking story, but there's there's a sense of hopefulness that you can hold all that together. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate being willing to share. I know it probably would been easier not to share it. I know it's a it's a hard process to put this whole experience out there for everyone but i just want to say thank you for doing that yeah well thank you i really do appreciate the opportunity to be able to share this and to be able to share jacob with everybody well uh, i had a friend whose uh, sister passed away and uh uh, josh ross he's he's been on the podcast a handful of times and he talked about his first book is called scarred faith and he talked about losing his 31 year old sister jenny and then he talked about uh why he wants his other book to do well because 
people might read that book and they'll go back and buy mm. his first book. And mm-hmm. that keeps the memory of Jenny alive. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. I get that. Sure. And I think this does a great job. Jacob, yeah. kill a redheaded kid. Yes, so, he sure is. Well, I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, thank you. All right, friends. Go get you a copy of Jason Jones's book, Limping But Blessed. And don't forget our sponsor for this month, Podbean. Podbean is a company that makes it super easy to create a podcast with little technical knowledge. Now you can even record and publish a podcast right from your phone with Podbean's app. So if you need a way to get your sermons, your teachings online, go to Podbean. We even have a discount for you. Check the show notes for a link to Podbean. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you back here next time.